every cell in your body and my body contains 23 pairs of chromosomes. It's our DNA. Every cell in your body and every cell in my body, God has built in, in those how many millions and millions of cells, everything about you and everything about me. Think about it. There's a scientific company called 23andMe, and you can send in a little bit of saliva and they will tell you everything about yourself if you're kin to anybody else in the world because that little formula God has built in every cell in all of us determines how tall we are, capacity, giftedness. It's all compacted there. Theoretically, you could take one cell, theoretically, and create you and me all over again. That's who we are, what God has built into every one of us. And you stand back amazed, and all I can say is the words of the Scripture, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, are we not? <laughs> Our God is a personal God. That little identity that makes up you and makes up me and can be uncovered in one little cell, those twin chromosomes. There's never been anybody else who's ever lived who has you. There's nobody else who's ever lived who has me. There's nobody else alive today who has that formula. Nobody else will ever be alive in the future that will be like you, that unique you and that unique me. If that's not enough to believe that God is God, I don't know what it's going to take. Our God is a personal God. And we've been studying the first part of Psalm 23, first three verses. And I sat down and count all the personal pronouns in Psalm 23, and I think there are about 25. In just six verses, 25 personal references. David penned this psalm. And it can be divided into two parts. We've already looked at the first three verses. And by the way, Psalm 23 comes in third place and probably, in my opinion, the best-known passages in the Bible. Without exception, number one is John 3.16, right? Yeah, yeah. John 3. Number two would probably be the Lord's Prayer. And I think Psalm 23 would come in probably in third place among the verses and chapters that are known pretty much universally in the Western world. And we looked at those first three verses, 
And if you read them carefully, you'll discover that the sheep is talking about the shepherd. And the sheep says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's a profession of faith, isn't it? The sheep saying, I've decided to let the Lord run my life. And the metaphor there is that he is like a shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. If the Lord is your shepherd, the scripture says, we have everything, everything we need. All the basic essentials of life. And here the Sheep is giving a testimony to anyone who would read and listen and understand. It is from God saying, if God is shepherding your life, you've got it all. Everything you need, everything I need. He's personally built that in, the shepherding assignment, the shepherding motif. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything that I need. What are the basic things we need? And we've exegeted this, if you've been around here. We need green pastures. Sounds good, doesn't it? We need still waters. And he restores our soul. And soul stands for life, using the Bible. You read the word soul, it stands for life. It is sheep, you remember, who get, end up on their back and they're caught on their back and they can't get up. And it says the shepherd comes and takes those cast sheep. That's a shepherding word and puts them back on their feet. And then he says the third verse in Psalm 23, I will lead you down the right path for my sake. I will also keep you in the right path if you let me shepherd you. What a beautiful word of assurance, a beautiful word of provision. The Lord is my shepherd, zip. You have all the provisions of God in every single life. Now they're good shepherds and they're bad shepherds. I just read couple of weeks ago about in Turkey, there was a shepherd who was responsible for 1,600 sheep, large flock, and came to a place in a little village and the shepherd left the sheep alone and went in and got some coffee and talking to some friends. And those sheep went over a cliff, 1,600 of them, 400 of them died. The others went over and fell on top of them and they cushioned them so about a thousand lived. But you see, that shepherd was not a good shepherd. He left the sheep in danger. And David's saying to you and to me and to the watching world that if you let the Lord shepherd your life, you got it all. You have everything that you need. But the last three verses, and by the way, look in, the, if you have your Bible with you, you should. If you're not, look at the pew in front of you and get a Bible out. Would you do that? So I know these verses, but let's, they, by the way, how many brought a Bible to church today? Lift your hand. That's the thing to do. Man, somebody said, uh, what happens if you hear the page of the Bible turning? I, 
I think that's angel wings. That's always I've understood that. But let's look at these last three verses, and everything changes. First three verses, the Lord is your shepherd. He's got everything you need. He provides for us. And then the second thing, the second three verses said, the Lord is my shepherd, and he protects me. And all of a sudden, you have a different kind of thing. The sheep are saying, the Lord, my shepherd, I have this. And the sheep is now saying, watch it, to the shepherd. Notice the change. Is saying to the shepherd. Even, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now it's change, isn't it? You get the little change in, in address. Now we have the sheep are saying to the shepherd because the sheep is under the tutorage, under the control, under the mastership of the shepherd. And now the sheep is saying to the shepherd, man, because you're my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Testify to the beauty and the confidence and the fearlessness that men and women and sheep certainly have when they're under the control and the love and the care of a shepherd. And it says, yea, though I walk through, I like that word through, through the valley of the shadow of death. And interesting, the interesting thing about death is if you are in Christ and we die of this physical body, we graduate, we get our resurrection body, and we go through the valley. I love the story of a little girl who was afraid of tunnels. Every time they'd go through a tunnel, she'd just cry and put her head down. And finally, they went through a tunnel, and she started to laugh and said, look, 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 watch, watch, watch. Bow your horn, Daddy. And they said, well, what happened to you? She said, I've discovered their light at both ends. Yea, though I walk through the valley, there's light at both ends, if he is indeed your shepherd and my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not encounter evil. A lot of people teach a false doctrine there. A false, well, I mean, if the Lord's your shepherd, you'll never have any trouble, you'll be wealthy, you'll be healed. No, it doesn't say that we will not have evil and problem. It says we will go through that evil. And the bottom line is the finest phrase in this whole chapter is the next little verse. Because thou art with me. The shepherd's with you. Christ is with you. Christ is in you. Christ is in me. We go through these valleys. There's light at both sides. All of God's children are always healed, sometime in this life, sometime in the next life, but we go through the valley because thou art with me. That's the bottom line, isn't it? By the way, Ben is doing a whole lot better. He's through his heart surgery, had his chest tracked open. He's back home resting, recovering. And that reminded me when I had my little, you know, like your appendix, triple heart bypass. And in that process of praying, I kept hearing, uh, I've got you. 
I said, boy, that's good. The Lord's got me. And then through the surgery, the covering process, and I said, Lord, you've got me, but do you have me on this side or on the other side? <laughs> and then I came to the conclusion, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. If the Lord is your shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Say that. Thou art with me. Say it again. Thou art with me. Boy, here is the sheep telling the shepherd how confident, how confident he is that there's no fear there. How many times did the author of this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, go through the valley of the shadow of death? A lot of times, you know the story of David, just right up front, the shepherd boy, David. Everybody's afraid of this undefeated, undefeated martial champion of the world, big Goliath. And that story is so many times misunderstood. We tell the story, here's a poor little shepherd boy who's facing this big giant. Oh, God had to help the shepherd or he had no chance against the giant. It's an amazing story. That's not what the story is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss this. You know what that proves? It proves that God is usually on the side of the heaviest artillery. Have you noticed that in war? That's what this story is about. Here's this evil bully laughing at all of God and God's people. All the other God-fearing people, the Israelites, they just sat on the sideline and did nothing. Sound like anybody here? Evil comes sitting on the sideline doing nothing, sound like anybody? Looked in the mirror lately, does that happen? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so David goes out there to take a lunch to his big brothers. Now, David had an IQ of about 160. He was brave. He was fearless. He had the linguistic ability of a Shakespeare. He had the musical talent of a Beethoven. And he was an athlete that would probably rival Seth Curry in his athletic ability. He was quite a gifted teenager, was he not? There's his older brothers fighting. They had an IQ of 12. <laughs> and... Uh, when happy birthday was sung, they could barely keep a tune. Anyway, that was the environment of David, but David saw God's people being intimidated. He went to the king and said, look, I can take him. I can kill him. I can eliminate evil. The king said, hmm, just a kid? <laughs> yeah. He said, bears and lions trying to get to my sheep. I don't believe he's any tougher than any one of those guys. Saul said, well, nobody else has gone out against him. And David went out, turned off all the armament that they used. That would weigh him down. He just went out in his shepherd's attire and had a slingshot in his hand. He picked up five stones to fight the giant. 
Why five stones? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Maybe three balls, two strikes. I don't know. Maybe it's just tradition. I don't know. He picked up five stones. I think David picked up five stones because he figured out if the first stone doesn't get him, I'll put one in each ear and one in each eye. If that doesn't stop him, he's going to win. That's how he thought with his computer-like mind. So he picked up five stones, and Goliath came out laughing. Have you noticed how evil always laughs in the face of righteousness? They, we see it all the time. Oh, oh, oh boy, that's the silliest thing. Oh, we believe so. And Goliath laughed. David got set with that sling. And by the way, that rock that he would sling, that he had practiced so many days, he'd killed so many animals defending all of his sheep. When he got that sling in place, that rock would travel at a speed of 200 feet per second and would have the thrust of a Derringer or a Colt 45. Bang! Okay? David had the heaviest artillery. And he said, I'm going to put one in his side of his head, and if that doesn't do it, I'll use the other four stones. But David knew something else. He said, Though I'm a champion, I have to go into battle without fear. All I have to do is let God take care of the fear, and God will take care of the victory. That's the way God works, folks. Yea, though I walk through dark valleys of depression and despondency and, and hatred and viciousness in every corner, we can be without fear when we know that we've let the Lord be our shepherd and we get our stance. He will settle the case exactly according to his divine purpose in this world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil, though evil will be there. And then he goes on and tells us what else the shepherd would have at his disposal. By the way, a picture of a shepherd, I couldn't get a real good picture of a shepherd, but sort of a partial picture. Let me tell you how a shepherd would have dressed. They would have had on probably a, a scarf around their head in case the wind came and the sun, and they would have on a gingham-type mini-wash coat, and they would have a large belt on and probably camel hair for the rest of them, and on their belt, they would have had their purse, they would have had a knife, and they would have had a rod. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In other words, the sheep is saying, when I look at my shepherd and I see that rod, first of all, that comforts me. What was a rod? It was about two feet long tough, tough piece of wood, have a big gnarly garb of ball on the end that would have nails in it. Tied to it would be a leather thing to grip it, and that shepherd could take that rod and, and sling it, could take that rod and confront almost any beast. Take that rod and throw it ahead of a sheep when the sheep was running. 
That rod was a powerful instrument of war. And now we have let it transition, have we not? In our language, we talk about a rod, we talk about a pistol, are we not? But this was a rod, and the sheep would look at the shepherd and say, whatever comes up, the valley, the shadow of death, all the enemies that come, man, there, there's that rod that is there. Thy rod and thy staff, that would be a weapon, a deadly weapon in the hands of a shepherd. And the staff, it'd be like a, a scout pole, we'd call it. It would be six to eight feet tall, usually with a crook on the end. And when they were going through Israel, many times the shepherd would use that pole as a pole vault over streams. The shepherd would lose that staff to guide the sheep. The sheep would go, and he'd just tap the sheep over here, tap the sheep over there. Maybe a sheep would be cast down. He could take that hook and, and take the little, little sheep and, and, and pull it back up. So that staff was a symbol. Thy rod and thy staff Man, man, the sheep say, they come for me. Power, the staff, the guidance. Then he says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What's that about? A good shepherd always knows the season of the year. In the, in the winter, they would go down in the valleys and find warm places and find as much food and water that they could. But when the snow would begin to melt on the mountains, then the good shepherd would go up there ahead of the sheep. And they would go out there and they would scout out the land to prepare a table, a place where when it got warmer, they could go up there and there would be green grass. And the shepherd would go and say, there's some parasites here. And there's a horned viper, which was about 18 inches long, that deadly to And the shepherd would go and sort of look out where they, he would keep the sheep when it got to be warm. And, Make sure there's a spring there of still water. I go prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies because the shepherd knows there are all kind of enemies out there, all kind of wolves and bears and lions in that day. The only enemy that a shepherd usually would never see would be a cougar, a cougar. Interesting. I read about a shepherd who looked after a number of sheep for over 10 years. He said, I never saw a cougar, but cougars killed many of my sheep. He said they had a way of coming in a stealth kind of fashion and said I would know how the sheep was consumed. But other than that, the shepherd was on the lookout and the shepherd would build a sheepfold. So when they got up there, not only would there be green pastures, he had looked over carefully for parasites and other weeds that may be deadly, but he would pair a sheepfold, take his knife and have all the thorns around on one side and thorns on the other side. Thou prepare a table before in the presence of mine enemies, and the sheep would go and, and put this, sh and the shepherd would go and put the sheep in that sheepfold that was protected by all sides. Then he says, Thou anointest my head with oil. That happened about every day. You see how intimate the shepherd, a good shepherd, looks after the sheep? When the sheep would go in the fold at night, the shepherd would be there, and first of all, he would feel the sheep all over their body, see if there's any parasites. He would speak their name. He had all of his sheep named. I know my sheep, and they know me. When I call, they come, Jesus said. And if any problems there, he would put oil on them, all on their face and hand, and he would say, yeah, sweet gal, 
go right in there. Yeah, 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 let's go. He, he had an intimate relationship with every single one of his sheep, and the sheep had an intimate relationship with the shepherd. The, the Lord is my shepherd. What care? And when they would get in the sheepfold, after anointing their head, checking their whole body with any problems, then the shepherd would build a fire, provide food for himself, all the fold was covered safe all around, and then the shepherd would lie down in the gate. For a predator to get in, they'd have to go through the fire, they'd have to go through the shepherd. And the sheep inside were absolutely safe. Isn't that a beautiful picture of when we let the Lord Jesus Christ be our shepherd, our good shepherd? Green pastures, still waters, restores us. Oh, leads us in the right path. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know we're okay because God, the shepherd, is with us. He's got his rod, his staff. They give us comfort that we'll be protected. Thou preparest a table before me, goes up and find grazing lands and a place for the shepherd to spend, the sheep to spend the night with their shepherd. Thou anointest me with oil, my cup runneth over. Interesting little phrase. In the Middle East, if you have company, you serve them in a two-handed cup. And if the cup runs over, it says, We'd love for y'all to stay for a while. We've got abundance. If the cup doesn't run over, you know, they get the message. We're glad to have you, but don't stay too long. <laughs> and then it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. This is the shepherd telling, this is the sheep telling the shepherd, this is what I'm confident of. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. There was a, I read a crazy story about a mother that walked every day a seven-year-old son to school. She'd walk the son to school some distance when the first grade, the second grade, she started walking the seven-year-old. And the seven-year-old after about the first week said, Mom, I can walk by myself. There's the big guys, the big Kids, they're up front. I can walk with them. I'll be all right. You don't have to walk with me. She said, okay, but you think they'll bully you? Or He said, no, I think I'll be all right with that gang. And so going out the next day, an apprehensive helicopter mother, you know the kind. This mother said, oh, I hope that he'll be all right. He's going to walk with all the big crew up there. And she had a friend down the street who had a young baby, and she noticed that friend would push that baby in a stroller every morning, and so she went over there and asked the friend, say, you know, tomorrow, next few days, I'm going to let him walk with the, the big kids up front. You're going to be out there. I wonder if as you stroll, can you kind of stay behind and you know, make sure that, that they treat him okay? She said, sure, I'll do that. So first day, he went out, walked with the big crowd. Second day, he walked with the big crowd. Third day, well, the big crowd had no problem. And finally, one of the big guys looked at him and says, you know, I've noticed ever since you've been walking with us to school, 
that that woman walks behind us with that little baby in the stroller. Do you know her? And the little seven-year-old says, I know of her. She said, uh, I think her name is Shirley Goodness. And, and, and I think the little baby is named Marcy. And they said, well, how do you know this? And well, every night my mother prays that Shirley Goodness and Marcy will follow me. <laughs> and he says, I guess they're going to follow me as long as I'm alive. <laughs> Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Let me ask you something. I've always talked about goodness and mercy, being two sheepdogs following along, Jesus the shepherd out front of the flock. But I looked at it and thought, what follows me? What follows you? Well, when you go somewhere and after you leave, does goodness and mercy follow you? Man, that sure was a problem. I sure had a tough time. Or does where you go and why go when we leave, is goodness and mercy following after you? Is goodness and mercy following after me? Or is there something else? Boy, I sure By the way, you want to know somebody real well, travel with them. Have you noticed that? Hello, a lot of embarrassments out there. But when we talk, deal, do business with, encounter in life, when we get through, do we leave behind us goodness and mercy? If the Lord is our shepherd, we'll begin to do that. All the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. The problem with our country today is there not enough people in strategic places who have given their heart and life to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and they've not trusted him to take care of all their needs. That's where we are in America. If you want to see a contemporary example of that, this past week, Two Hilton hotels in San Francisco, they owed almost $800 million to their creditors, said, we're not going to pay anymore. We're going to give you these two hotels, the banks or whomever held the note. Said, we don't see any way of coming out of this in the city of San Francisco. One hotel had 1,300 rooms. The other hotel, Hilton, had 1,900 rooms. Is the largest hotel in San Francisco, California. And they just turned them into the creditors and said, we don't see how. You take the hotel. We can't pay what we owe. You take them. You go to San Francisco today. Ten years ago, I thought San Francisco was the best city in the world. My goodness. What beauty, what charm, just magnificent climate. I mean, I've been there maybe 10 times, different kind of gathering. But last year, 69% of the business left San Francisco in one year. Never happened to any city in history. 69%. The Nordstroms have left. Target has left. Businesses left, the streets are just filled with hundreds and hundreds of street dwellers, 
drugs, feces, may a dog and human all over the streets. Horrific place. Going out of business. Decreasing in every way. Taxes high. Tolerate every kind of sexual expression and celebrate it. But the mayor of San Francisco has done something this past week. The mayor of San Francisco, realizing the radical decline of that beautiful, beautiful strategic city, the mayor has appointed a drag queen laureate and is paying this individual $55,000 a year in order to increase and pick up tourism in San Francisco, California. You say, well, that's San Francisco. Just hang around, folks. Where God is not honored, where biblical principles are not applied, where the good shepherd is not shepherding a lot of the sheep, the human beings in any city, in any town, in any province, in any family. Just give it time and there will be disaster because the evil one will take over and rule the day. We've got a task. We're to be the salt, the light, the leaven, the truth in a broken world. Humbly, we're to say, not with a superior spirit, but say, come to Jesus Christ. He will shepherd you through life and will change everything about you. That's our message, the message of the church today. And we have to not only deliver it, we have to live it. We deliver it and we live it. And when that happens, the Lord's house will begin to dwell here with us. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll see, the only way we'll ever see, a brand new life, a brand new family, a brand new government, a brand new school system, a brand new corporation, brand new, brand new, is when the good shepherd and his principles come into lives and come into every aspect of life. That is our calling.